For the purpose of efficient discussion, the following episode of Fred Watch uses the word queer to describe and encompass non-heterosexual, non-heteronormative identifying, and cisgendered individuals and communities. It is by no means used to homogenize the diverse LGBTQIA community in a contemporary or retrospective manner. Certain language and terminologies are used by our critics in the context of when the film being reviewed was made, as well as when its narrative is set. Warning. Spoilers ahead. I'd like to see you naked. I will if you will. You're the butch one. I don't mind it. I like it. I like to look at you. Do you like to look at me? What are you, some kind of fag? <laughs> Good evening and welcome to television. Hello. Hello. Hey. 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 Oh, hey. I'm Wayne Stellini. And I'm a Philip Hunting. And welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. And welcome to a special episode where we commemorate Pride Month on this 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots in New York, a watershed moment in the extensive queer civil rights movement. It only seems fitting then that today we're discussing Nigel Finch's 1995 independent film, Stonewall. Please explain. In the late 1960s, young gay man Maddie Dean, Frederick Weller, arrives in New York City's Greenwich Village. Upon meeting drag queen La Miranda, Guillermo Diaz, and her friends, and observing their harassment at the hands of the law at their local haunt, the Stonewall Inn, he becomes radicalised and actively participates in the homophile civil rights movement. Meanwhile, Bostonia, Duane Boutte, the surrogate mother of the queens who hang out there, is feeling the strain of being in a relationship with Vinnie, Bruce McVitie, the closeted mafioso who runs Stonewall. It is inevitable that personal and political tensions will erupt in the early hours of June 28, 1969. The Stonewall riots are one of the most significant series of protests in the global queer civil rights movement, and their multimodal representations often come under close scrutiny by members of the community who have benefited from them. Understandable because it was an uprising that was felt around the world and changed the course of history. So, Philip, did you rise up for Stonewall? This was an interesting movie for me because I know of Stonewall and I know of the basic history. I suppose I didn't know the detail and to be perfectly frank, after viewing this... I don't really know much more of the detail. <laughs> <laughs> so were you expecting Stonewall, the movie, to be a education? In some ways it was, mm. but not in the way I was expecting. In the sense that, end of the day, there is about five to ten minutes of the Stonewall riot. Yes. That. That's being generous. Yes. So it really was that leading up to the Stonewall riots. But even with that, it was, didn't feel like you were leading up to an event. Mm. It felt like you were, it was the movie just giving us a summary of gay culture in the sixties. Right. Okay. Sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, did, and did that summary of the queer culture in the sixties help influence what Stonewall meant in terms of significance or not really? You're just kind of like, well, it didn't tell me anything I didn't particularly know, or it did tell me a few things, but not quite enough. It helped me understand more about the actual goings-on and, and, I suppose, the feelings at the time. For example, I'd heard that there were these two sort of divided, obviously more, but really there's two significantly divided 
ideals on how to deal with the the queer culture and and be it go full on you know in embracing the the fabulousness you know <laughs> through drag and through uh, you, you know your your very radical clothing and all that sort of stuff or dress down and be show that you are normal for all intents and purposes and yeah. that you're just like everyone else and in suit and ties and stuff and that these two ideals clashed a lot yeah so i sort of knew that but it, this really helped me understand that even further like helped me understand why people would be one way or the other yeah why why the reasons why these two didn't ideals sort of didn't mold or, or mm. get along and the reasons behind why you'd choose one or the other yeah well there's a really interesting point that you made there philip about the way people presented themselves in the 60s because we learn in the film and this is at the concluding of it that sort of might put i guess what we've seen before mm. a bit more into perspective mm. was that if you were not wearing a minimum of three items of clothing that align to your gender, yeah, you know the gender you've been given uh, yeah, at birth, yeah. you could get arrested for it. Yeah. So there were those, I guess, who had nothing to lose mm. and who did what is called scare drag. And this is a term I've only recently learned about. Okay. Yeah, and I'd never actually heard about this before. But it's when, for example, in this case anyway, mm-hmm. where a man will dress up in women's clothing but won't have, you know, the prosthetic breasts or yeah. anything like that. So, you know, it's a bit more paired back, I suppose, yeah, to the drag yeah. that we're familiar with yeah. today. But you're right, it actually puts a line in the sand almost, doesn't Mm, it, mm. in the queer community. Are we going to be flash and fabulous or, hang on, we're trying to progress the civil rights movement, we need to be taken seriously. And we see that with, you know, the protests and the marches in in Philadelphia and the demonstrations. They make a big emphasis about men in suits and women in blouses Mm. and skirts and things like that. And I suppose what threw me a bit is that this movie was great at showing that. This movie was great, I feel, at showing a culture in an era. Mm. It was, as far as I'm concerned, useless at showing us about (laughs) Stonewall. Right. I learned nothing about the actual Stonewall riot itself, especially considering how big an impact it's supposed to have been. And again, I'm, in my mind, comparing this to other movies about events. Right. So... Let's take things, and again, I, I'm being very, I might be drawing at straws here, but yeah, for me, this for is sort of looking again at historical films. Mm. You look at something like The Patriot. Right through it, regardless of whether you think it's a good movie or not, right through it, it is leading up to that tension and all the things that built up to the final battle of the War of Independence. Right. Other historical movies, they always seem to be building up to that moment that we know. And this, it's sort of like that climactic moment Mm. got such a small... And again, I know they talk about at the start, you have the interviews with people people saying it wasn't really a riot, it wasn't really in anything. But this is for us now in this day and age, it was such a defining moment to be given such small airtime and such almost turn around and say, oh, this was just sort of a a, a blip compared to the other stuff that was going on. Whereas Mm. today you'd almost think the reverse, that the other stuff going on ended up being a bit of a footnote compared to the Stonewall riots. Well, yeah, that's a really interesting point because, you know, when you have a film called Stonewall, Mm. you're automatically thinking riots, I suppose. Look, the Stonewall itself 
it's a character in the movie. It's, you know, the hub of where I guess society's freaks, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. at that time and outcasts go together to be themselves because we see outside of the Stonewall Inn what it's like being gay in public with somebody yeah. that you quite care for or just even want to be friends with or hang out with or get to know better. You've got frowning eyes on you. That doesn't happen within Stonewall. Mm. I suppose the filmmakers want to reflect on the venue beyond one incident. Yeah. However, you're absolutely not wrong in saying when we think of Stonewall, we think of these series of riots, which actually happened over more than one day. Yeah, The instigating incident mm. is depicted quite beautifully here in a creative manner. Mm. Quite a bit of it seems to be quite accurate. Yeah. Because one thing, and I love that the character of La Miranda says at the beginning is, everyone's got their stories, this is mine. Because whenever you hear, especially oral stories about the Stonewall uprising, it is rare that you will get two people saying the exact same thing. So this is quite interesting. So there is no definitive history, I suppose, or or telling of Stonewall. I like that they acknowledge that from the get-go. I suppose for me to go back to other movie versions Mm. or, or, or examples, it'd be like having Titanic. And then you get up to the part where they're about to hit the iceberg and it cuts to a... Man, many people died on the Atari. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of how it feels. You want to see the ship sinking. Maybe it's just a case of I'm doing a bit of a what's in a name. Yeah. But again, you hit, said it. If you've got a movie called Stonewall, show me Stonewall riots. Show me the, yeah. the that. Show me what happened during, after. Show me, you know, the process of going, you know, did people go to court? Did mm. people die? Did people... Oh, yeah, not that I want to see... You know what I mean, though? Absolutely. Show me the... The meat the, and potatoes. The meat and potatoes. Yeah. Whereas this is almost should have been called, you know, the road to Stonewall. <laughs> yeah. or, you know what I mean? No, but, I actually see where you're coming from. And myself, that final act where the riot does occur, I'm in two minds about it myself, actually, mm, about mm. how successful is it? Mm. Because I'm thinking, well, okay... I'm going to keep in the back of my mind, this is an independent film that doesn't have the hugest of budget. Yes, yes. But also, this uprising was not planned. So it's not like we had a lot of people coming together to mobilise against the corrupt law enforcement Mm. either. So for those who might need a bit more context about how Stonewall came about in those early hours in June... The police raid Stonewall because it's run by the Mafia. Mm -hmm. The Mafia are aware of it. Yep, that's fine. Here, take a cut. Take some of our money. You keep us operational. You scratch my back. I scratch yours. Mm. The queer community have a relatively safe space, if you will. You know, they can mix and mingle without persecution besides the harassment, I suppose. Mm. But they can be themselves for the most part. So it's like a balancing act where everyone is happy because they're playing by the rules, Mm -hmm. I suppose. And I guess when the rules aren't being played too, it's when the proverbial hits the fan. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things, and this is one of the things that's quite, I guess, consistent in what I've heard in terms Mm -hmm. of people recalling their firsthand experiences at Stonewall. And it's actually quite accurate in the film to some degree is that the police do come into the venue. They do what they normally do. They take their cut. They confine the patrons into the venue until they say, okay, you can go, you can go. The people who are sort of left outside wait outside. Because once the police go, either everyone goes home or they'll just go back in again. Mm. Some people are arrested and are taken into the back of a van. Nothing new. Mm. At one stage, a drag queen is taken in the back of a van and there seems to have been some 
obviously attitude or altercation. Witnesses see her kick a police officer and that just triggers his Mm. anger. And they then hear the sound of beatings and so forth. You're queer in the 60s. It's a familiar sound. Mm. However, what happens is that some of the queens start throwing coins at Mm. the police officers. Symbolically, well, you're taking our money. Mm. That's why you're raiding to begin with, really. Mm. Have some more. Mm. And with the beating of this drag queen, they start to come closer together and approach law enforcement. And that's when a riot breaks out. The police, as we see, barricade themselves inside the venue Mm -hmm. because they're outnumbered and they're terrified. Mm. And then things escalate from there. We see some of the escalations, such as like the police officers with their shields and Mm. batons and and the horses come in. But we, I feel, do end it a bit too early. Yeah. Because I feel like more blood was spilt, more, you know, fear was induced and so forth. And we do see it. We see snippets of it. Mm. And it's done really well. I think it's cut well. It's quite graphic. I feel this is actually exactly what made me feel that, yeah, it just wasn't quite enough because you're right, it ends far too early for me in the sense that, yes, they're sort of saying, okay, well, this is Stonewall. If that was all I knew of Stonewall, this movie, then I'd go, then why was it such a cultural thing? Mm. Because you're right, it is like just any other time it is like any other art they were right so much worse than this than what is depicted in this film yes um at the time so why the hell would this be such a major thing mm. i think the movie assumes that you know the real deal or a closer count to it mm. you know that it was a big thing that it was over several yeah. weeks whereas someone coming in like myself you saying that it was that it was riots over several several days, yeah, several days. I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought it was one big hell of a riot, mm. buildings burning, people gathering from miles around, mobilization, all sorts of stuff. I thought it was that. Mm. Now, if I didn't have your account or your your knowledge to fall back on, I would think I'd watch this movie and go, "What? Why mm. do we uh, remember this? This is." The Ricky Rebellion was worse than this. Yeah, it was you know? huge. That yeah. was that was a, a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose you're right, Philip, because I guess there isn't a body count, if you will. I mean, in history, we turn to, mm. we tend to remember. Well, what were the fatalities? What was yeah? You know, like, yes, there's a lot of property damage. We we get glimpses of that. Mm. Maybe it's film budget that you know restricts yeah, yeah, what yeah. we're told. But you know, there's still with some with some angles and cuts and edits. And some clever ways of doing it. You can still emphasize mm. this. The film shows flashes of it. Yeah. You know, there's that really disturbing scene of the gentleman getting hit by the baton. Yeah, most And you certainly. see him spitting blood on, yeah. a, on the car window. Like moments like that yeah. really emphasize the violence and aggression. Just how heated everyone mm. was. But even something like, funnily enough, a, a worded afterwards, you know, riots went on for days. Mm. Or, or the way it ends with the showgirls sort of dancing. Yes. Makes me feel feel that it was like oh this was just a, again i know she says this was my legend yeah. this is my way it went down 
but it makes me feel like something happened to make it abruptly stop or that it wasn't yeah. actually all that bad or just something like that, which I know is not the truth. So, Well, it's interesting that you say that, Philip, that you mentioned the, you know, the girls yeah. behaving like a chorus at the end mm-hmm. and singing the, you know, their, their little cute song about, you know, we're the Stonewall mm-hmm. girls mm-hmm. and so forth. That actually happened. Oh, okay. And it did abruptly stop. Oh, and it abruptly stopped because that's when the police came with their shields and batons and horses. So yeah. to some degree, it's implied, but it's not explicit. And it's hard because you can sit there and say something about the Titanic and say, yeah. okay, well, everyone knows the Titanic, yes. so we can take creative liberties. We know Everyone knows that it's sank. We can fill in the blanks we if we need to. We can fill in the blanks yeah. if we need to. But something like this, it comes back again to me about the importance of historic storytelling this might be, for a lot of people, the only time they really see a visual representation of Stonewall. So, again, if I was to go to something, one of my films that I really don't like, Braveheart, mm. a lot of people feel that is the true, correct story, yet there's so much in it that is inaccurate, pathetically so, not even like creative licensing inaccurate, mm. that... For me, it goes, okay, well, yes, you're telling a story, but at the same time, you're letting people know, uh, now have an opinion on what something was. And if you have this, as I said, lots of people might come back and say, hey, why was this such a big deal? The, mm. the movie said that it was nothing. Yeah. Now, it's well actually... good to say, you know, oh, well, people can go do research, but how many people go do research? Do you actually <laughs> think, though, and then this is probably not necessarily a reflection on how the riot is depicted in the film, Mm. but I suppose what leads up to it. Mm. So let me just put aside how you've said, well, you know, it kind of was nothing. Mm -hmm. But if we think of the harassment, the levels of abuse and what we are seeing in terms of the culture within New York, Mm -hmm. within the venue itself, and then externally Mm. when Maddie Dean and Ethan go out to the beach and so forth... Do you think that doesn't provide enough to say, we are so sick of this now? Yeah, most certainly. And again, I think this is where maybe just for me, it's those tiny semantics, which again, comes back to how much I should be arguing this or not. I probably already now have argued it further (laughs) than it needs to be. But it is, you are exactly right. This to me is not the story of Stonewall. Mm. This is to me the story of pre-Stonewall. This to me is the story of the movement and how, maybe not how it was born per se, but definitely how, what it was like during the 60s. It was that, how did we get here sort yeah. of movie that happens to end with the Stonewall riot. Yeah. So to me, again, it, it, if you called it the road to Stonewall, that would make so much more. And to me, that would actually resonate better with me because yeah. it would be... I was watching and waiting for where's where's the riot? Where's, where's the, yeah. I expected it halfway through the movie, right? And was actually thinking, you know, we we had all this lead up. I was thinking, oh, okay, this is going to be a lead up, right? And then aftermath, mm. cool, awesome. And then it didn't, which is why I was saying to you, um, off mic earlier that. I both love this and didn't. I wouldn't say hate, but just also didn't really like it because I love it for what it is. Yeah. And as that storytelling, it's beautiful. Mm. But 
the misleading name just threw it for me. Just, yeah, is it kind of like a bad taste you just can't get rid of? That's it, that's yeah. it. Well, I think it's because, and you've made, made a, a really clear point about this, about, you know, it is the road leading to Stonewall. Mm. Because it's important that when we think about the queer civil rights movement, it did not begin with Stonewall. We see that. We see Boat yes. having his meetings, God bless him, yeah. you know, making protests about not getting served beer and alcohol in bars. It was so bad. <laughs> uh, he tried. Because I think the film wants to reflect that Stonewall is significant, mm-hmm. but it was not the first civil rights movement. Yes. And it was not the only civil rights movement either. So we see a lot of these efforts to advance the cause for civil rights. And I feel like that through the eyes of Maddie Dean, who is mm-hmm. the newcomer, so he is our window yep. into this world. He comes from Hicksville yep. and is not really impressed by what New York is offering. Hey, yeah. it's a big city. It should be giving me more. Yep. Yep. Um, yes, I've got drag queens. He has to learn how to address a person in drag. You mm-hmm. can refer to someone in drag as a she if mm-hmm. that is appropriate. He's learning the ropes. He's teaching us in that regard as yep. well. But... He's getting frustrated. Yeah. He's getting frustrated by, I suppose, the passive way of doing it, the yeah. passive resistance the and protest. Steady, yeah. Yes. And he gets increasingly frustrated with Ethan and his approach. Yeah. Ethan is quite elitist. Yes. In that way. You can see how Ethan rags on La Miranda when he yeah. first meets her. Maddie Dean is a little bit embarrassed by La Miranda. Yeah. You know, dotes over her in New York. But then once Ethan, an intellectual, comes yeah. in. La Miranda is not kind of good enough yeah. for, for the group and is really a source of mockery as well. Mm. So the dynamics of the characters are actually quite interesting because I feel more than anything, they drive the story forward. We've got a few interesting couplings. So we have Maddie Dean and La Miranda. Mm-hmm. We have Maddie Dean and Ethan. Mm-hmm. And we have the closeted mob man, Vinny and the beautiful Bostonia mm-hmm. as his lover, and they can't, you know, do anything in public or anything yeah. like that. So what were you thinking about these dynamics? Were they successful in helping portray the climate and culture of the time? I definitely think so. I, I did feel La Miranda and Maddie's relationship, um, and then Maddie with Ethan, mm. it actually... As a sort of side note, but I think this is really interesting as to how we view different um, cinemas and different films. Mm. It actually felt to me they're cheating on each other, or him, sorry, he, uh, Maddie cheating on La Miranda, yeah. felt very much like the start of a heteronormative film. Oh, okay, elaborate it's, on that one. So for me, it's that, again, think you're legally blonde, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, uh, he takes her to a restaurant. He's maybe not cheating, but let's use that sort of same vibe. Yeah. It's that... He's soiling the relationship by it. ending it with her. That's it. Yeah. It's ending a relationship. And then if this was a heteronormative film, what you'd have is La Miranda seeing Maddie cheat on her. Yeah. And then we'd follow La Miranda uh, through a new romantic comedy or something <laughs> like that. It'd be a different film, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Whereas, and I don't think it would be around Stonewall either. No, no not at all. Not at all. Um... I don't want to see that movie. No. Um, but where this, that sort of thing where you might start in a, generally start in a heteronormative film, mm. becomes the main sort of A-plot movie. Yeah. And I just found that really interesting because I've also found this with a lot of the films you've shown me, the, the queer cinema films that you've shown me, mm. a lot of them do have people 
coming from broken backgrounds yeah. or or damaged pasts or mm. damaged presents. Mm. And I've actually f- wanted to talk to you about a little bit about that idea mm. for a little while because I find it fascinating and a little sad, to be honest, yeah. that this has become such a trope within queer cinema, yet knowing, sort of knowing why that is. Yeah. It's a reflection know? of reality. Mm. So I think if we're having a period piece such as this one and everything is hunky-dory... It doesn't make any sense. We can have people coming from privileged backgrounds, mm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're accepted. Mm. For example, La Miranda and Maddie have the conversation about coming out. Mm. When La Miranda hears that Maddie came out at the age of 15, mm. she's so surprised. And you sense that she actually hasn't come out to her family. They're poorer than, say, what Maddie's background is. And I guess this is where socioeconomics come into it as well, that for her it's easier to run away than to expose her real self, for example. Why? Because she knows what the consequences would be. There wouldn't be a need for a venue like the Stonewall Inn Mm. if everyone was accepting of everyone. So I think this is quite interesting because films made now about queer youth, specifically queer youth... Mm. The road to coming out might still be difficult, but they're not ostracised. Yeah, because I was about to say one another example mm. from a modern thing mm. is Modern Family. Yeah. Even though the, the queer couple are seen as accepted in a lot of places, and a lot of the, the humour comes around from them thinking they won't be accepted, <laughs> and then they are. Yes. They still, both of them came from very broken households one way or the other. Really? Yeah. um... See, my understanding is that Cameron comes from a very, like I say, a small country town, but very loving and family orientated. Loving and and family orientated, but simple. Yes. And I mean, there's a whole other thing to talk about that. Of course. Even just the simple fact that I said simple is broken, but we won't (laughs) go there. But then you have Mitch, who comes from what is essentially an abusive family. His father was not happy with him coming out yeah Um, it's not until later in life when he's gotten his independence and uh married his partner and gotten a baby that the father starts to actually grow and be accepting etc philip that is one of the most profound things i've ever heard you say because when we break that down mitch is accepted when he behaves in a heterosexual manner exactly yeah we don't have that opportunity in the 1960s no of course of course not and i suppose that's the thing Again, looking at this movie, mm. it makes sense. But when you start to look at all of them, especially the ones you've shown me, and maybe this is just what I've been exposed to. Of course. But a lot of them have very similar, very similar tropes. Yes. I feel I'm yet to see a, a queer character that isn't either super flamboyant mm. or super broken. There's yeah. no... And again, I know I'm probably putting my own things on it, but there is no... There's no characters that you just go, oh, yeah, they're just them and they happen to be gay. Yes, yeah. They always have to have something attached to them very heavily. Yes. Well, I think then if I showed you Love, Simon, which I know you've seen, Mm. but if we decided to discuss that, Alex Strangelove, these are more contemporary films, Mm. upper middle class Mm. white young men. Yeah, yeah. So a class socioeconomics... Mm religion, upbringing, the family unit, Mm -hmm. all of these things 
do impact the character's journey. But I feel like that that is the same for any character, yeah, regardless of yeah. their sexual orientation but, yeah, or but, gender identity. Yeah, and I was just about to say, saying Love, Simon actually makes me think, yes, that's probably the only one I feel I've seen. Mm. It's, that, a, it's a recent phenomenon, though, to no, present no, that's it. That's, queer characters without a, a harsh or tragic that's, backstory. Yeah, that's it. And I even know me saying this. Mm. I don't even know me sort of bringing this up. And the, the answer sort of is... Oh, well, that's because that's, for the majority, was the reality. Mm. And that's hard, a little hard for me to swallow. Not in the sense of saying, oh, that can't be all there is. Yeah. But it does make me sort of sit back and go, there are so many different heteronormative stories. You can have a heteronormative story about anything. Yeah. We have decided you can only have a queer story about these small items. And it's, as you say, I mean, now that we're starting to look at other things. Yeah. But I still think that's reflective of the society and culture. Yeah, though. yeah. I think to present a film where everything is really happy and hunky-dory, and it does depend on the era you're setting it mm, in, mm. when you watch it, it plays off like a fantasy. Mm. Now, that's not to say that that's a bad thing. Mm. But for how long will an audience buy that fantasy? You can present an ideal in what we're striving for, but that doesn't necessarily mean your audience will always engage with it. So, for example, a film like Torch Song Trilogy goes across a number of years, and it has a lot of these tragedies that we think of, such as gay bashing, rejection, and so forth. But if you replace the characters and make them heterosexual, you would go, oh, yeah, that's just family life. Yeah, yeah. You know, we can't emphasize that because the characters are gay. But it's a journey that the lead character goes through. And it's quite an interesting one. And yeah, is almost heteronormative to some degree, mm. really. But I guess when we're talking about the story and the narrative, what did you think of the overall narrative style? So, for example, it's almost presented like a docudrama. Because yeah. La Miranda breaks the fourth wall and is talking to us at the beginning and at the end. It's yep. beautifully framed. And almost singing to us. Yes. Because it does have this musical element. Yeah, so that sort of singing is what is used in a lot of old school Greek performances. Yeah, I was about to say, it feels very sort of Greek. Yeah, so a Greek chorus where the characters or a specific amount of characters are narrating or dictating a part of the story. Yeah. They're singing about what's happening. How did you feel about this? I very much got that sort of Greek sort of feeling. Mm. And I actually really loved the storytelling style I thought that was amazing. I thought it was beautiful. Again, going sort of back to my complaints earlier, this is the part that makes me love it. If you forget completely about, you know, what was being told in the sense of, you know, whether, oh, Stonewall Rods or not, blah, blah, blah. This is a beautiful story. I love how they contrast, again, the two styles of culture. Yeah. I love how um, this one person who represents us in a way through uh, Maddie is sort of bounces between the two I think that is so much fun and so beautiful Mm. I even loved Bastonia and Vinny's relationship that was beautiful it was very complex wasn't it very complex very shocking at the end because literally Vinny shoots himself yeah and literally literally I was thinking just as they're snuggling up to each other and he says did I ever tell you that I loved you yeah I was thinking, oh, this is so sweet. And then bam, I'm like, wah! Yeah. (laughs) We've got somebody who is so deep in the closet that 
when they're having the conversation on the rooftop mm. about her getting a sex change yeah. to resemble a woman more closely mm. physically, he doesn't even want her to touch him yeah. because there are windows. Too many windows. There's too many windows. He's so terrified. Mm. And he comes to this realization, I suppose, he can't have it both ways. Yeah. After he goes to the confessional and to cheer her up over Judy Garland's death, they go and mm-hmm. have ice cream. A big scene is mm-hmm. made. Mm-hmm. That's the reality facing yeah. him. So anything that he was probably saying, maybe it could work. He knows it can't. Yeah. And he knows it's not a life he can live, but he has to tell her, I love you. He has to say it with words. Mm-hmm. We see that when he takes the gun out of the, from the pillow, there's money there. Yep. It's financially providing for, for at least her. in yep. the short term. Yep. It's yeah, it's a really tragic ending, yeah. but it's beautifully played. I feel, and I, I I found it interesting as well. Again, the era that it's set, mm. when he says to her, "You got to get this sex change." It's done in a very, you know, that 1950s, 60s. I'm the man of the house. Oh. You do what I'm you're told, kind of way. So absolutely, it, it, I found it, and yet. She, being a man, mm. turns around and confronts him and says, hell no. <laughs> yeah. Which he can't, which Vinny can't deal with because in his mind, he is a she Absolutely. who, and it becomes really complex because you've got this traditional female-esque person mm-hmm. who's not taking on that traditional female-esque role of just listening to the man of the house yeah. sort of thing. Absolutely. And I just, I found that really fascinating that he just goes up to her and says, hey, you need to get this sex change. I've already booked it in. It's no different to, you know, oh, I'm going down to the pub, um, feed the kids. Yeah, no, exactly. And also when we think about that, Vinny does come from an Italian mm. background. So highly patriarchal. Yeah. And also the time that it is set, still strongly patriarchal, mm-hmm. even in America. Most certainly. He has money. He has power. He's he has influence. Mafia, yeah. Yep. He gets what he wants. Mm. And he sees Bostonia as a woman, mm-hmm. and so he should. Mm-hmm. She presents herself that yep. way. She identifies that way, but just not in terms of a biological sense. Mm. It's deeper than that. And she doesn't want to lose her male biological components. Yeah. You know, she doesn't want to lose her genitals. Mm. Not many men do. No. And that's why for people who are transitioning mm. from male to female, and also from female to male, Body parts that strongly align to a particular sex or gender, if you will, it's a huge step. Yeah. It can be traumatizing. It can take a lot of counseling, can take all of these things. She is not at that stage, but he wants it now. Yes. And also, you know, 1969, it's an office in a high rise. Yep, yep. How safe is this thing? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, I know sex changes had been done and so forth. I understand it wasn't like she was going to be the first person in the world to get it. But, but it wasn't. still wasn't. No, not as common now. Yeah. But we've got I mean, the advancements in technology to do it. Even sex- now, it's a dangerous process. So. As is any procedure. Yeah, Absolutely, exactly. yeah. And it has the ramifications down the track. Mm. You mentioned before about Maddie with La Miranda and Ethan. Yes. So, you know, Maddie's quite fascinated by La Miranda. They have a lovely relationship until Ethan comes along. <laughs> and, you know, he, he breaks down her walls. You know, mm. She's very to herself, has a stone wall of her own, if you will, <laughs> yep. and doesn't really want to let him in. But she's quite smitten by him. Yeah. You know, she has that wonderful line on the train, you know, I ain't never had no hero. <laughs> he, he stands up for her. He's 
he says it to the cops. He ain't doing nothing wrong. Yeah. Just by being himself, mm. herself really, but yep. Maddie's still learning the language. And she educates him in terms of the culture and the community. Mm. And she's got a wild side to her. And I think that's what appeals yep. to Maddie. Because then when Ethan comes along, he's more intellectually stimulating yes. and has more of a, a plan. Yep. La Miranda exists. Mm-hmm. Ethan wants to progress. Yes. But Maddie wants to have a balance of both yeah. where you can exist, but progress and mm. exist in the way that you want or need to. Yes. So Ethan there is the threat. And we see that because Ethan is quite masculine, Maddie is quite masculine. Hey, we've got our own homophobia within the community as mm. well. Just because you're gay doesn't mean you can't be a man. Yeah. These things are danced around a little bit and mm. we can see that you know, it strikes a nerve with La Miranda mm-hmm. because she is extraordinarily tough. We see it in her first altercation with the law. Yeah. Where she, you know, refuses to, to play along and she mm. protests by putting lipstick on after having her head dunked in the mm. dishwashing water. Mm. So these characters are quite strong. They're quite, I guess, independent, but also quite codependent on one another to progress. The dynamics feel... I don't know. What, did you feel like the Maddie Dean La Miranda ones were, were stronger and more authentic than, say, Maddie and Ethan, or did it all work together? So my biggest biggest thing there, again, mm. was that Maddie really felt like he just didn't know what he wanted. Mm. He was boy from the sticks. He yeah. seems to... It's alluded to that he actually had a pretty good upbringing when he came out. You know, it was pretty straightforward and... yeah. Stuff like that. So he doesn't... I feel he doesn't really get the full impact of what the world he's living in mm. has for him. As yeah. a, He's very idealistic. He's very... Which, again, is why he's very surprised when Ethan is, you know, all progressive and all that. But, hey, we got to play by these rules. Yeah. Where it's almost La Miranda is this, no, I don't want to play by the rules, but... That's sort of how you get progression by mm. by staunchly saying no piss off, no piss off, no yeah. piss off. So, to answer your question directly, I really think uh, Maddie and La Miranda worked better, mm. sort of as this couple. Well, they're the couple, I guess, that we meet at the beginning. That's, they're that's the ones it. that we're backing. We want them yeah, to no, succeed. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I do think a little bit of it is also because and. I'm not sure I like the fact that I'm even thinking this, mm-hmm. but I do think a little bit of it is because it is actually a little closer to a heteronormative It's something we can identify with. It's something with. we can identify with, whereas Ethan and Maddie are two very masculine personalities. Mm. Therefore, it doesn't quite line up with the heteronormative sort of thing. So we're almost having you know watched heteronormative uh, film for all yeah. our lives, being brought up on a blah, blah, blah. We're almost like, oh, yeah, that makes a bit more sense. Mm. I don't like the fact that I think that. Um, Could it be that perhaps because La Miranda has struggled, and look, a lot of us haven't had easy upbringings, mm. we can identify with that more than, say, Ethan, who is quite privileged? Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. Um, I do think that La Miranda and Maddie actually complement each other a lot more. Oh, yeah, I believe Um, so too. Again, I'm sort of thinking of this now sort of in the stratosphere of, mm. um, you know, if I was directing this, what yeah. what could we have played with? What sort of messages are we pushing? Mm. To be honest, I think when, when it was all put there, it was literally just 
this is just the story and the characters I want. Yeah. Nothing to do with the overanalyzing I'm doing right now. Yeah. But with that overanalyzing, I do sort of sit there and think it's almost more comfortable in this dynamic. It's almost unintentionally making the statement that these, you know, this sort of masculine goes well with the feminine yep, could sort do. of thing. Again, I'm pretty sure that's not what the intention was no. at all. It was literally just we have these two characters and we love them together. Yeah, it's sort true. Of thing. But it is quite normal to have within homosexual relationships depicted on screen to have somebody who is more masculine and one more feminine. Mm. Now, I'm not mm. saying that that is not reflective of real life. Sometimes you have effeminate people with masculine people. You get them in same-sex relationships. You oh, get them in opposite-sex relationships and not necessarily how we would expect. Yeah, no. But I feel like in terms of the the narrative structure, in terms of the narrative itself and the characters, I agree with you, Philip. I don't think it was an intentional thing no, to say no. we have to have the man and the woman. Yeah. I think that La Miranda comes from nothing. Yeah. Maddie goes to nothing. Mm. So they're both, as you say, complement one another really yeah. well. And you know what? I've actually just thought if this had been a Hollywood movie... Mm. I would hands down say, yeah, that's exactly what they've done to be safe. Oh, yeah. But being an independent film, I, yeah, there's no way in hell that's what they were aiming for at all. That's just coincidence. That's just, it had, the the dice had to roll somewhere. Yeah. And the thing is, as well, when you're talking about the Stonewall riots, drag queens, Mm. um, trans people are so important. Yes. yes, To the narrative. It is not like the pubs and bars that a lot of the other gay folks go to. This is the one for the social outcasts based on race. I suppose that I think my question with this part of the conversation then is, Mm. Love Miranda is not the one I would change at all. Yeah. It's actually Matty. Did you not fall in love with Matty? No, no. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But again, I'm just in this sort of very niche part of the idea. Yeah. If we'd had him more as an effeminate character. Oh, wow. Okay. Would that negate any question of... I suppose I'm only questioning it, really, because coming at it from 2019, we have progressed so much further. I'm not really looking at it from a 95 point of view of a event in the 60s. Yeah. I think that's my problem here, that Mm. I'm looking at it from a time where I'm I'm yearning for more Mm. mixing of tropes and mix it up. Let's shake it up a bit. Let's I want to see all the the rainbow. I want to see (laughs) the rainbow and what are we doing here? And uh, but that's I think one of the big problems I have watching any of these sort of movies where I don't really know the history strong enough. Yeah. I can go in and watch a, 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 like Zulu. We go back to Zulu. Mm-hmm. I can go back and I know the context of when it was made and the era when it was made about. Yeah. Well enough to be able to say, oh, cool, they've done these awesome things. And yeah, sure, if we made it today, we'd do all this different. Yes. But I understand what they were doing back then. Yeah. I don't know enough about either of these eras within the context mm. to be able to say like I my brain goes 95 oh surely to goodness we were dealing with homosexuality better right up until you go we weren't dealing with homosexuality well until <laughs> mid noughties if that <laughs> yeah you know, like late tens you know <laughs> no you're absolutely right and I mean and think about it though like this movie was released in 1995 mm. For World AIDS Day, we reviewed Philadelphia, which was made two years before yeah, this. Yeah. So, yeah, the conversations are different. Absolutely. Mm, mm. Uh, you know, we had a surgence of 
queer films and young queer characters in 2018. It was nicknamed 2018. Very recent. Yeah. So just because I guess as individuals we're quite progressive, it doesn't mean everything else yeah. catches yeah. up, particularly and representation. I think this is where things are sitting awkwardly for me because, mm. I, again, it, it's really it's stuff that. I would like to be seeing other things. Yeah. But I've got to remember, well, th- we've only had that recently. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Phil, you know, you've raised before about how films that are of a historical nature have certain responsibilities. Yes. I mean, this film is quite openly a fictionalized telling of events, but it is quite accurate mm. for, you know, those little moments that I've mentioned before. A few things that I guess where the timeline is skewed, but to emphasize the point, because I mean, hey, we've only got, you know, an hour and 40 minutes to play with it. But I think they've been done responsibly because they do emphasize the oppression of the queer community. So we had, you know, what we would like to call the sip-in, where they're trying to get a beer and get rejected (laughs) to to prove a point to the press. Uh, You know, that stop didn't include Stonewall as we see it. In the film, oh, okay. yeah, and it actually took place about three years earlier ah, than what uh, yeah. than what we see as well, and also in uh, Philadelphia where they're doing the picket, so you know where Maddie Dean has to dress in a suit and is outside the town hall and finally gets to play his protest song on the bus. Yeah. <laughs> that was about a year earlier, okay, so yeah, yeah it was, there was there was a bit of uh, differences there, and it happened I think more often, like it was a recurring event. One of the things that the film does that is quite contentious and some might argue offensive is depict a moment in history that is factual Mm -hmm. and that is the death of Judy Garland. Ah. However, it suggests, we see it in an opening montage of of clips and we see Bostonia's response to her Mm -hmm. music being played on the jukebox that Judy Garland's death fueled or helped impact the riots at Stonewall. Mm. There is no one who was involved in Stonewall directly from the queer community who have ever mentioned that Judy's passing was a factor. Ah. Now, in more recent times... Mm -hmm. And I am thinking about RuPaul's Drag Race, where they do acknowledge Stonewall because yep. of the anniversary that we are acknowledging today. Yes, yes, yes. RuPaul actually linked the death of Judy Garland, the emotions tied with that, and the Stonewall in riots. Mm. And RuPaul got a lot of flack, flack for, it, yeah. for it. And this is because it is believed that the whole myth of oh, they were fighting because of they were upset over Judy Garland's death, came from a quote from somebody who was heterosexual and was dismissing the riot and dismissing the queens and was like, yeah. well, they were probably just upset over right Judy yeah, Garland. Yeah, rah, rah. Yeah. Now, Judy Garland spoke very much to the queer community. Yeah. She still does. Mm-hmm. So it's not like disregarding her death as being insignificant to the queer community and the broader community too. But I think linking the two together diminishes the impact of the social and cultural oppressions that were on at the time. Mm -hmm. So that was probably the most glaring inaccuracy that should have been left on the cutting room floor. Not a huge emphasis is put on it. I mean, it's important because 
it leads to Vinny and Bostonia's date that then leads to yep. his tragic ending and so forth. But it does imply that because it is Bostonia who hits the cop that triggers the riot, yeah. that Judy is linked yep. to and it. And they keep Judy playing in the... Yeah. Wow. So I will say straight up, mm. I believed that myth right up until 30 seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would... I, like, I'll tell you now, I'll be telling my partner who's uh, very... So she's... Uh, uh, Big fan of uh, drag culture. Yeah. She, I'll tell you now, I'm pretty sure believes that myth. Yeah. And she'll be interested to hear that. Yeah. Because, yeah, I'll tell you now, I thought that was a thing. Yeah, no, Judy Garland's death was not a motivating factor. I wouldn't be surprised. This is now me look, putting on my historian uh, <laughs> glasses. I wouldn't be surprised if that sort of thing wouldn't have caused tensions or at least sadness. Mm. But I can definitely understand why a uh, you know heterosexual outlet or person or whatever mm. trying to dismiss it all would use that as ammo against it. Yes. Um, so kind of dimish- diminishes the severity. Yeah, that's it. That's um, it. And the point that the- they're just pissed off because of yeah. this. Let them. You know. Yeah. Even, even I could even see that in a sort of you know nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies kind of way, being a excuse to be like, oh, just let them be, you know, just calm down. They were upset about this. Yeah. It's not like they're actually looking for rights or anything. They're just upset. <laughs> just give yeah. them a break. Which is interesting <laughs> because you know, with the the protests that Maddie and Ethan are involved in, that boat leads where they're all in suits and ties. Mm. You know, the importance of that is. We want to just blend in, look uniform, mm. so that nothing distracts from the message, message that yeah. we want our civil rights. Mm-hmm. And I think what this mythology does is it almost tries to distract from it. Exactly. Yeah, and, I get that. And I think the reason why we know, I guess, not that it wasn't a factor or anything like that, but that we know that it was more than that and much more than that is because the riots continued yes. over the next few days. Yep. So... In terms of a fictionalized account of an historical event, mm-hmm. overall, Philip, and going into our final thoughts, yep. was the film successful? I guess as an historical piece and, if you will, as an entertainment piece. So, again, and we alluded to it before, mm. I am very passionate about historical pieces mm. being accurate. But I think I want to just take this moment for to, just to clear the air on that. Mm. I am all for creative license in certain areas. And for me, I think Nathan from History Buffs says it right, where he says it's not about the actions or what's being depicted. It's about whether those actions and depictions are offensive or not to Mm. the history. Yeah. So, for example... Cramming everything into a single week, Mm. cramming everything down to a short period of time is not offensive. That is just something you have to do for film. It is something you have to do to keep tensions high. It's economical. It's It's shorthand. Even if you were to sit and put in, you know, try to be like uh, three months later, it depletes the tension Mm. that we've just built throughout a scene. So I am all for that sort of thing. I am all for... Certain generalizations, again, if we took this film as the road to Stonewall and Mm. it was about the lead up and all the things that are happening, I think the generalizations to show the audience the basics, because there will have been more than two factions. Oh, yeah. There will have been lots of different people having different ideas, but it's good to just show 
one side which is like, no, we need to be out and fabulous Mm. and keep to our own little group or whatever. And then the other side going, no, we need to be ties and suits and normal. It's good to just show that so that we're not conflating and confusing the message of the film. That's right. But to hear that they are pushing a agenda Mm. of oh, it's Julie Garland, Mm. when majority of the community finds that offensive, Mm. to me is poor. It doesn't ruin the movie, but Mm. it is definitely poor storytelling, especially when it is used in the climactic, you know, namesake of the film. Yes. I can understand why they do it. It's one of these things where it's a beautiful story. Mm. It's a beautiful thing, Mm. that's sort of in it. Yeah, um, like I myself can forgive it for linking it to the Stonewall Riot because it is important in the Vinnie Bostonia narrative. Yeah, because it leads to the demise of their relationship. So I forgive it for being there. And look, let's face it, it was huge news yeah. for heterosexual and homosexual people. Mm. Judy's death, you know, she's an icon. So I can. It needs to be there. Yeah, for me, it needs to be there. You see, I actually almost think the opposite way why mm. does it need to be there there's a, a band of brothers yeah there's a, a episode about one of the soldiers who get at the end of the film at the end of that episode sorry so band of brothers is a, a series tv series he gets shot in the neck and then there's a word thing saying um, he never recovered from his wounds he died two years later right the problem is that soldier survived. Yeah. Survived his wounds, died years later, probably would have been able to see the series where it tells of him dying two years later. Why do you need that? Mm. It's at the very end of the episode. It needs no... It does nothing to make us feel better or worse for the soldier. Mm. It, it, it doesn't add to the rest of the movie or the, the series... So why is that needed? Same series has a thing where they say um, August uh, August 3rd mm. and then they do this sort of montage sort of flashback to a couple of weeks later or something and then it comes back to the start where we see this sort of pan in and one of the soldiers says Hitler's dead. <laughs> Hitler didn't die till the end of the month. <laughs> why do you need that? Yeah. Why do you need to mess little things up like that yeah. just to try to fit into some narrative you're trying to tell? Mm. Now, to me, that stands out as a glaring thing about that. Why go with this myth? Even if it's a nice story, mm. why go with that when... It's just something that, as as said, it most likely was used to belittle. Yeah, I think for it's me, it's not to like s- it's taking it back. It's not like it's no. Oh, we're going to take back this uh, narrative, and yeah, we we were sort of no, yeah. just actually fight against it. <laughs> no, no, this is true. And look, for me, I think why I said that the death of Judy Garland needs to be in it is because she was so significant yeah. to the queer community and also to the broader community who engage in in popular culture and entertainment. Mm. Also, we're talking about a film that has a lot of principal characters who are in the drag performing scene. 
Yes, these particular uh, drag queens are street prostitutes. That's how they survive. But we can see it through the Greek chorus style mm. narrative tool. We can see it to them performing actually at Stonewall. That performance and the glitz and glamour is important. So Judy Garland as a figure would be very much yeah. important. She was in The Wizard of Oz, which is a, has a huge queer following even to this day. Mm. So I feel like there is that significance in terms of popular culture. My critique is that she's, you know, playing on the jukebox in the Stonewall Inn. If it was any other artist or if that little bit was not there, I don't think we would be having this huge conversation about it. We wouldn't necessarily link one with the other. Yeah, yeah. But as a writer, I understand why that flows through. Yeah. Because Bostonia obviously is very much affected by Judy's passing. Mm. She's just lost Vinny as well. And now these cops come in for more harassment. I can see what the writer is trying to do. Also, this film was made in 1995 based on a book. So it probably comes from that source material. And could theoretically we not have really had much else... Like, has this whole thing of that being a myth only come out recently, or...? I'll be honest, as a myth, it's something that I've only learnt recently myself, yeah. 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 So, it could be that it was a myth believed back then. Yes, that's mainly other thoughts on it, yeah. So, I think that's why I can quite easily forgive it, because in terms of the narrative trope, it works. It works in terms of the narrative style. And also, we are you know, given permission to be a bit more fanciful because as La Miranda says, the bookends of the film, this is her side of the story. This is her telling of events. And yeah, what a wonderful telling of events, a unique and quirky telling of events too. So Philip, your final thoughts and a score out of five for Stonewall. I definitely enjoyed this film. Mm. I think it, it told the issues of the era in a very palatable way Mm -hmm. which is something that is very difficult to do there's a film i saw not long ago called hotel mumbai Mm -hmm. which is trying to tell the story of an event that happened in 2008 and it's just far too graphic far too confronting for people to take on board and then want to learn more about it. It yeah. just makes us switch off. It makes us go, oh, no. Uh, which is sad because it was an incident that needed to be... The, the movie needed more heroes, let's just say that. Yeah. Hard to do for an accurate sort of thing, but again, that's where I'm happy for a license to be sort of played with. That aside, this, so going back to this, this did the opposite. This made it nice and palatable. This made it something that... I think anyone could watch and start to learn about the history, learn mm. about the culture, go on and then watch something maybe a bit heavier, a bit more uh, uh, guts to it. Mm. It's a nice entry to the era of queer film, the era of, of the, the fight. Mm. Definitely, I'd rename it if it were me, <laughs> but that all aside, I would give Stonewall four out of five. Well, I really enjoyed this film and this as well was my introduction to learning about the Stonewall riots. So a lot of it I took as fact. When I go back and listen to the oral histories of people who are actually there, mm-hmm. yes, memory is a funny thing. Yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of conflicting arguments and, and, and tellings. 
but so much of what we accept now as a collective truth of the Stonewall Uprising is in this film, and that was lovely to see. I do love the characters in this movie. I love the performances. La Miranda is one of my favourite drag queens ever on cinema. Giamero Diaz is so beautiful as her. Beautifully enclosed and, and shutting herself away from Maddie. She opens up, is insulted by him when he goes off with Ethan. She almost disappears from the picture, really. And when we see her again, she's stripped of drag, doesn't Mm. have the long hair. She's doing that for him. Mm. And he, having had these poor experiences with Ethan, realizing that Ethan is all talk, no action, really realizes how much he loves and cares for La Miranda. Frederick Weller as Maddie Dean is just adorable. (laughs) He has this gorgeous you know, hick mm. naivety mm. and, and eagerness and enthusiasm. And it is just a wonderful performance. Brandon Corbellis as Ethan was also quite good. I thought he played an arrogant antagonist, if you will, who we want to like but can't really, but do anyway because, hey, he's cute. Played really well as well. Dwayne Boutte as Bostonia is also lovely. I'd also like to just throw in there quickly because you reminded mm. me of it, that little salute um, that happened between Bert of the old guard of uh, the community mm. and uh, Bostonia yeah. representing the new guard where they just sort of say thank you to each other. Yeah. Um, I think that was beautiful and I'd like to see more of in uh, queer cinema, to be honest. Yeah, I think that acknowledgement. And also, you know how we were talking about the two different types of queer culture depicted here, you know, the the drag mm. scene and then the more reserved scene, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and Bert and Bostonia represent both of those. Bostonia is a bit older than the other drag queens in yeah. the film because she is the drag mother, mm-hmm. but she's in connection to yes. this new... I guess, culture that is emerging and that is showing. And, you know, you're right. Peter Rattray as Bart is quite lovely. Mm. Like, it's it's a really it's a really tender performance about somebody who, I guess, is exhausted but will not stop fighting. Yes. He has that wonderful line that he says, I've spent so much time fighting for the right to dance, I've never had the time to actually dance. Mm. I've paraphrased it, but, no, but yeah. that says a lot about what his mm. life's work is done and he's been doing these peaceful protests and so forth. Without all of those, Stonewall wouldn't be as significant yes. because it, again, can't just happen overnight. That's it. There were a lot of factors involved. And I like that this movie touches upon so many of oh, them. Yeah. I'm like you as well, Philip. I love the Vinnie Bostonia relationship. Mm. As I said, Dwayne Boutet was just absolutely wonderful as Bostonia. Bruce McVitty is also, I, I just, I believed him. Mm. Like, I just, I really believed his struggle. I believed his love. I believed his frustrations, his anger. It's difficult to make a character like that likable, even mm. when he's being a bit of a joke. And he has his jokish moments. Yes, yes. But you know what? I was on his side the whole yeah, way through, even it. when he wasn't being all that that's nice. It. So for me, the film tells a really complex story, a story that we can never 100% fully understand everything back then, even now. Mm. But I love it as... I guess, a a representation of a significant part in the queer civil rights movement. So we should always remember that Stonewall was not the only civil rights Mm -hmm. movement. 
that June is not the only month to be proud, (laughs) but there are significant moments. And I think it's great that we're reflecting on the movement, on the representation, historical context in films, the queer community in films in general. What a wonderful discussion to be having on this Pride Month, on this 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising. The film isn't perfect, but again, it tells a great story. Oh, yeah. Four out of five from me as well. Nice. Well, thank you very much, Wayne, for showing me that. More than welcome. I've been a Philip Hunter. And I've been a Wayne Stellini. And, and you've, you've just, just experienced Fred Watch. Cue music. Someone. Oh, cut it out, Philip. <laughs> Blooper reel. In the late 1960s, young gay man Maddie Dean, Frederick Weller, arrives in New York City's Greenwich Village. Upon meeting drag queen La Miranda, I have already forgotten how to pronounce his name. Mm -hmm. In the late 1960s, young gay man Maddie Dean, Frederick Weller, arrives in New York City's Greenwich Village. Upon meeting drag queen La Miranda, Guillermo. Oh, I knew I'd do this. Guillermo, Guillermo. Meanwhile, Boston. The only time they really see a visual representation of Stonewall. Mm. Almost said Stonehenge. So what were you thinking about these dynamics? Were they successful in helping portray the climate and culture of the time? I definitely think so. Um, the um, So one thing I will say about... Um, sorry. That's okay. Do you want to start the sentence? Again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pastor's at the bottom. Yeah. There we go. Uh, La Miranda. La Miranda. Cool. I even loved... I... I even loved uh, La Mer- No. Bastonia? Yeah, Bastonia. Yeah. Where it's almost um, Miranda. Miranda? La Miranda. La Miranda. Where it's almost La Miranda. Cue music. Somewhere over the rainbow. Arms. Please cut me off. Oh. <laughs> Cut me off earlier than that. Let's I'm, do it again. Then. I'm not. I'm. I don't know all the words. Oh, don't you? Sorry. No, sorry. <laughs>